0: listening to the official scottish rugby podcast with caroline blair and chris patterson and today we're joined by recently retired internationalist lee jones lee great to have you on uh where do we start i mean 10 caps are scotland what 58 tries and was it 30 31 tournaments on the the world rugby seven series is that is are, are those fingers yeah those fingers <laughs> yeah, are right. right. oh my goodness what a career um how, first of all, how are you feeling now that you've hung up the boots?
1: Yeah, firstly, a uh, pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's been a wee while. Uh, I say a wee while, a, a couple of months since kind of the boots came off and, and made the decision. But uh, it's a strange sort of time. It's a, a time where I don't think throughout my career um, you ever fully reflect on things. Um, but now uh, that this is this has come about and, and retirement's upon me, it's kind of a time where I can slowly begin to to kind of look back a wee bit and uh, yeah, and, and look at look at over my career for kind of for what it was. Um, but so far, so good, yeah. And what yeah. does
0: that look like for you? Like when you're saying reflect back, what do you think about the career that you you had?
1: Yeah, I, I, it, it's such a long time, honestly. When because when I, I was studying at university, when I first went in to play a bit of sevens and then um, got picked up um, by Rob Moffat at Edinburgh, um, and at the time, you know, I managed to to get things finished studying-wise, and I was like, of the mentality, right, we'll, we'll give this a go um, and see, you know, how we get on, and it's not until I'm now looking back 12 years on that I'm like, oh, well, that that's 12 years that's uh, that that's taken up because you never, you know, the way rugby works in terms of contracts and stuff, you can never be quite sure uh, when it might end or, you know, with, with various bits and pieces. So now it's like, right, well, there's the, there's the last 12 years gone. So it's a, it's a kind of long time to reflect on. Um, and I've been across, you know, different clubs within Scottish rugby in different places. And when you're in it, I think you you're in it for what it is. If if I'm at Glasgow Warriors, I'm in it. I'm, I'm a Glasgow Warrior. If I'm playing sevens, I'm a sevens player. And, you know, what's gone before, you almost don't
2: think about that until now um, and kind of look back across the whole thing. You started off at Selkirk, of course, Jonesy, as a scrum half as well. I remember when you, I remember, Moth brought in, you were a scrum half stroke winger, wasn't it? Never, um never played a huge amount of scrum half once we turned pro, but I remember you coming in super fit, super dedicated, hit the ground running. Um, I mean, I, I played, quite a few of the early games alongside you. I actually feel, I still feel bad. It must have been 12 years ago. I threw a hospital pass, Caroline. Well, no, it wasn't a hospital <laughs> pass. It was a quick line-out to Jonesy at, uh, at Cardiff in one of your first games. And I think it was maybe really Casey Lauwawa. Somebody of uh, of notable quality in the hit absolutely belted you and I oh. felt so badly. <laughs> you took it, got up, kept the ball and took off. And I like, oh, we've got a good one here. And I just felt <laughs> small. So 12 years later, I apologise. But... um just had rugby in the blood, Jonesy, didn't you, growing up playing a lot of sevens, obviously playing sevens professionally as well and internationally. But um take us back to those early days with Edinburgh and how, uh, how fond your memories are of, of, of becoming a professional.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say I, I still almost feel a wee bit like a scum half in a, in a winger's jersey, to be honest. <laughs> <like>, um,
2: <laughs> you know?
1: um, yeah, like... I never played in the wing until, yeah, until I was maybe 19, 20 and a bit of age grade stuff. And then, uh, yeah, those those early days, I, I played a, a year in the seventh circuit Um, while well, I was killed, still kind of a student. And then, uh, yeah, Moff picked up the phone and, and came in with Edinburgh. And to be honest, it was all, I'd always aspired to be a professional rugby player Um, and kind of done everything of what I thought. Um, I'd need to do in terms of being in that position and, and so to get the opportunity it was huge for me and then to come in and for example train alongside the likes of you, say, I remember that was a World Cup year and yeah, um, yeah I remember just like my first session um, was Gullum Beach um, I remember <laughs> oh, I was the still dunes. living at home at the time the dunes at, oh. um, yeah Gullum Beach and I remember driving up the road from, from Selkirk Um but I absolutely loved it. Like just seeing guys that watched play and and coming into that environment and just learning what it was all about. Ah, um, oh, it was uh, it was crazy looking
2: back on it. But I read, no, really, really fun memories. You know, um, over those years at Edinburgh. At least you had the sense to drive to Gallon Beach. It might this might have been the year we did it often, but this might have been the year where a good mate of yours and and played alongside Simon Webster. Webber decided to cycle to Gillen for the <gasps> beach session for the June session, so he cycled from Edinburgh, down to Gallon, oh. as his warm-up. And then <laughs> and then I think the, the kit man took a of him and put the bike in the back of the van because there was just no way he was cycling home. So at least he didn't <laughs> cycle, you? I think that was the day. I think that was the first... Um, <laughs> I think that was my first session. What club have I joined is... here?
0: <laughs> I know, exactly.
2: What did you, what, was it engineering or chemical engineering you studied at that time? Uh, mechanical engineering. Yeah, so I kind
1: of... My first year... Um, Edinburgh kind of overlapped a wee bit, but I was well on the way to kind of just thinking, right, we'll get the studies uh, tucked away, and uh, <laughs> this is this is much more fun running about Gullum Beach. <laughs>
0: how do you how do you pick a highlight? I mean, you know, when you're looking back on that time, you've achieved so much, Lee. You've travelled the world, you've met so many people. How do you pick a highlight when you're telling people about your career?
1: Yeah, I think there's probably there's a few things. I'm probably immediately drawn to you know when you think back and like I say only now reflecting on things, um those days, so Edinburgh you know I I reflect fondly on that and you know playing the, my first professional game there's obviously that um the Heineken Cup run that we had back then oh,
0: that was a run um,
1: yeah so like so that jumps out massively um you know that just that string of games um and going to play in a semi final um arguably should have made the final. Um, you know, that that kind of springs to mind winning my first cap um the same year in twenty twelve as a huge a huge highlight. Um jump over to sevens uh, like um home Commonwealth games, playing at Ibrox, like that, that sticks out in terms of in terms of sevens. Um and then with Warriors again, I, I like some you know, Europe, European Cup quarterfinals, that's the European games always kinda really stick out in terms of special moments. Um, and then in terms of Scotland, like first cap um was huge, but then almost on, on the same level, I think winning a cap in twenty seventeen, you know, having not played in you know, there was a five year gap between caps. Um and and that was we beat um Australia and Sydney on summer tour so and that was my first win in a in a, in a full Scotland Jersey so that was almost like I, I don't know that was almost that almost lies on a par with with winning my first cap um beating Australia and Sydney and and it being you know winning a cap after being out for so long so um no there's highlights across the board and that's kind of in rugby sense but you th- like you said, Caroline, you you think back to all the people you've met and the experiences you've had, and the opportunity to travel the world as well. Um, so uh, grateful to the game for for all of that and more.
0: It's a question for both of you. Uh, this is a bit where Mossy's looking like, oh wait,
2: where's she going oh, with this now? <laughs> I'm not very good at questions.
0: <laughs> um, the decision to hang up the boots to retire—that's a very personal one to you, to your family, I'm sure. But I wonder if you might be able to enlighten us as to how you both reach that decision or how, you, how as a professional player you come to that decision when it perhaps isn't enforced through injury, whether it's timing?
2: Everybody will be different, won't they? I mean, there'll be, it might be clearer for some players than it is for others. Some players might hide from the fact that you're going to have to make that decision and, and almost stay away from it. Others will look forward to it. Um, for me, and... This wasn't the case. Like Through my whole career, I wanted to improve. I wanted to get more. I wanted to get a record, break a record, extend a record. I always wanted to achieve more and more and more, which with that mentality becomes really difficult when you realise this is going to end. So I always knew throughout my career that it was going to end. I never thought I'd do it forever. I always knew there would be an end point. But my whole career was driven on improving and reaching another goal or breaking another record or, or getting on. And then, Almost overnight, it, when I knew I was getting older, uh, the, the probably decision beca- or the the awareness was I would hate to devalue what I've worked so hard to achieve and that was my motivation for stopping. So I could probably, I kept playing, sent a year, maybe two years, but my overriding emotion was I can't devalue what I've worked so hard, what I've chased, what I wanted, kind of examples that I felt, I felt I'd set. I would hate to have... Devalued that in any way, shape, or form. So that was kind of basis for for my retirement. Which yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't as if it was like a something I thought about often. It just hit me at one point. I thought, right, that's it. And maybe I knew I was getting older or getting sore or, or double sessions became more difficult. The warm up for the the second session of the day became a bit more difficult, Jonesy. But no, it was it was a, it was a fear of devaluing what I felt I'd, I'd achieved for me. Um, for
1: for me, um, it's it wasn't a it wasn't an easy decision um but i think approaching you know this this last year and me playing a bit of sevens and um you know I, I came off the back of having a lot of injuries um and a lot of injuries in quick succession and injuries that i'd never had before and um i, I got through that and and got back fit uh and i was i was almost with that just keen to keen to play at least another year um, having worked so hard to get back fit after the string of injuries, um, and yeah, decision not easy. But I feel like as soon as as soon as I made it, I knew it was the right one. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the right time. Um, just in terms of my my body, like I I kind of always prided myself and looking after myself, and you know, looking after my body. And but it it got to the stage where um it's such a it's such an intense sport in the training and there was just i could still i felt like i could still perform but it was just taking more and more on the side of looking after certain things you know that that was building up and so it was taking more to to get my body right um and i think that's what kind of brought the decision down for me you know um and and like I say when I made that decision I was like it was 100% the right decision and you almost I think I was convincing myself at times that you feel all right and you know it wasn't until probably I reckon it was six weeks after um I'd made the decision and I hadn't planned had, had had the boots were off and I walked down the stairs and I was like this is, that feels good knees feel good
2: <laughs> I can go down the, the stairs right, yeah, yeah. yeah but before <laughs> it
1: was just you just accept it is that that's uh-huh. not that's normality so it's all relative your normality shifts and yeah yeah my, my body definitely feels a lot better for it as well um,
0: it's, it's amazing how many that that the consistent theme with every retired professional player I've ever spoken with is that when you know and once the decisions made mm-hmm. you know and interestingly f- for you of course you're your good lady uh you know she's a former cyclist commonwealth silver medalist she retired from her professional career you know her her sporting career what was it 2016
1: yeah, 20, 2015, yeah, 2016, around that so
0: time. Yeah, I'm I'm guessing. I mean, plenty of support and understanding from there as well. And and the family must be so proud of everything that you've achieved too.
1: Yeah, um, Charlene, she she kind she just always says to me, that it, it'll be fine. It'll be fine." Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, well, she's, she's a fighter.
0: She's got a great a great mindset. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, she she's gone through that process, which is which is nice because you know as as much as you know the the injury troubles I had towards the end of my career. Um, it takes its toll on you know your your family as well. So and Charlene specifically, like if to, for her to see me coming home and I'm like, oh, it's you know, it's another re injury, and that takes its toll. So you know, I think she's happy that I've made the decision as well. She gets to she's supported me the whole. If I'd wanted to play another year, she'd have been right there. But when the decision's made, she's like, yeah. Right decision. I'm, I'm I'm happy to have you back as, and you know, in this form as opposed to uh, going out and throwing your body into things every week. So so that's a bonus. And and yeah, family. Um, actually, it was it was Charlene. She organised that kind of. I hate surprises, and I'm not one for. You know, <laughs> she organised the surprise uh, surprise party, as you could say, um, which. You know, I, there was a there was a shock element to me because I don't like that sort of stuff. So she's arranged. all oh, we're going through to her parents and we, and I walked into the room and my family were there and and her family were there and friends and and all that sort of thing. And I had I did not have a clue mm-hmm. Um until I look back in hindsight. And there's wee things where I'm like, ah, oh, so that's why that was. That's why that was. Uh,
0: but the penny. She, ar- she
1: arranged all that, and I, that was awesome. That was kind of that was really nice just to. Almost again reflect on things and um and kind of share it with family as well.
0: well. I don't know if you were there at this point in the bowl, must or if you were if you'd start a commentary at this point. But the the sound at BT Murrayfield for you on Saturday, Lee, was deafening. It was fantastic to hear the support when you del- you delivered the match ball, um, before Scotland took on Argentina in what was a really a really really interesting game of rugby, which we'll come on to in a second, but. What was that feeling like walking out and, and feeling 60-odd thousand people celebrating your career with you?
1: I'd, I'd much rather have be been playing, Caroline. Nice. I said this <laughs> commercially nice, before the game. I was like, <laughs> I'm dreading, I'm absolutely <laughs> dreading this. I know. Um, and I think I did a wee performance review after and I think I, I left it 10 yards short. <laughs> I got confused <laughs> and I got to the sponsor in the middle of the field and, and I put the ball down I turned around and I thought, that, that's not the middle. That's not in the back up <laughs> into the stand and I'm looking down at the ball and I was like it was annoying me I was like
2: it's not in the middle I, like, I couldn't I couldn't even do the job right I know it's funny isn't it I, I know we spoke beforehand you said you we were nervous and it is it's like how can walking with a ball make you nervous but it just does it's it's the power of the place it's the power of the, the arena That is. it is it's, uh, and you begin to doubt whether you're capable of walking 50 metres oh. and putting the ball down. You're like, oh, what am I going to do? Nah, well done, Jonesy. Good on you. Good on you. There was some game as well, wasn't it? I mean, it's uh, oh, 50 points against the top sec. I mean, it had everything. I, we said it was so important for Scotland to win, but I think equally, well, not as more important, but equally as important was the nature of the, the day and the, um, the intensity of the day, the intensity to back up after a six-day turnaround to physicality, even when it was fifteen and fifteen, I thought the bravery and the courage of the physical bravery, obviously the team, but also the bravery and how they were playing um, of keeping the ball, challenging Argentina the whole time. It was great. It was a it was a an imperfect afternoon in terms of the the kind of word they use. I was doing. I was on the radio. It's so often very kind of sanitised world we live in. But I felt actually it wasn't perfect, but it was raw, and there was a display raw, raw emotion, and raw yeah. desire to perform for your country that spilled over a wee bit. But um, a wee bit in some ways, I just a wee bit. <laughs> it used to spill a lot, spill over a lot worse <laughs> than that. But. I think it showed what it meant to the players and 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 what it meant to them to get a, a victory against such a quality side.
0: It was a relentless onslaught of defence at times. The mm. word, you know, just was relentless at times and it was so interesting to see. In terms of what you both think of looking at that game in the context of the four and the series as a wrap, I guess, what were your thoughts?
1: I think when you look at it, that that's a tough game. Yeah. Mm. Um, just given the three games before and coming off the back of you know playing the All Blacks and, and going close there to turn up against Argentina who have already beaten Scotland twice in the in in the year with the games haven't been tight it's a real tough tough fixture and as Mossy mentioned there a six day turnaround I, I think you sometimes forget that and you definitely for, forgot that watching the game and the intensity that went in that match like it's not easy ever going on a six-day turnaround, but after mm. having played the All Blacks as well. And, like, so, and came so
2: close, but lost emotionally as well.
1: Yeah, the emotional element of it as well as the physical. It's like, yeah, it's for the boys to get, you know, be able to put that performance out there off the back of what had just gone um, was awesome. And I think um, that's a result to, to really be proud of. Um, and, you know, and regardless, uh, yes, it was a red card and, a few yellow cards. You, you still have to do the job. Often it's harder playing against, mm-hmm. you know, fourteen men, and the Argentinians are a passionate, passionate bunch, as as we've seen on the weekend. So you know, to put them away in that in that manner um, was awesome. So I think it was a really
2: strong finish to the campaign. It's funny because it is hard. Well, it's obviously easier to play against fewer players, or, you know, numerically. But I felt there was there was a pressure that came against playing against fewer players. The the red card, 15-14, doesn't make a huge difference when you're playing a team like Argentina, who are so determined and so uh, active and busy. And then when it actually, strangely, go down to 13 or 12, it's easier, isn't it? Because there's obviously more space to attack, there's fewer people, but structure and um, style of defence goes out the window. It becomes just not every man for themselves, but it becomes rogue defence, left, right and Mm -hmm. centre. So what's difficult for a structured attack is to play and face like rogue defenders just flying out of line, left, right and centre, putting you under huge pressure because now teams will work so hard at keeping the defensive structure, keeping their shape, working together, working in chains of three and units of six. So you get used to playing against that and it's it's near on impossible to break down as you see often in international rugby with not a lot of tries scored, all that's changed about this year. But actually, what's equally as hard is trying to keep your composure when you've got rogue defenders left, right, and centre flying out in, rushing you when you should have time because they've got. It's an all-or-nothing approach. They, if the worst thing that you can do if your numbers down is just sit and wait, you'll be picked off. We've seen. And that, I thought. I, think... I, I thought, Saw that Saturday. I was like. I mean, it was really hard to keep your composure. Um, mm. And Scotland probably didn't have as much composure as they should have done that period against twelve and thirteen, but they got there in the end. There was a point just on that, Mossy. I think, that really like
1: illustrates that. And it was one, was it, they were down to, were they down to 12 at one point? And it was, we had a, we took the scrum, which mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. probably, as you're thinking, the right option to do. They're yeah. down two forwards. If they put, if they showed up the scrum, then there's space, there's massive so, yeah. space elsewhere. If they don't put anybody in the scrum, you can, you can take the scrum forward and, um, basically like we we shipped it out to Finn and they just absolutely flew there was like three boys mm-hmm. flew on Finn there's <laughs> there's not much you can do about it you know there was so much space um but it's just exactly what you said like the 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 defense totally changed what they do and I think they then scored they ended up
2: scoring off the they back scored throughout. from that phase yeah. roughly because the balls the ball can he kind of squirted out the back of the scrum uh and then I think we recovered it and got hit and eventually I think tried an offload in the 22 and they scored with 12 men. So it's It's just rogue kind of, defenders all over the place causing chaos. But also, I looked at the clock at that point and I think there was three minutes left after we they scored before they would go up to 13 and then another minute or two minutes before, before going to 13 and then one more minute before they went back up to 14. Oh, right. yeah. And it's like the the pressure there is like, well, with the decision maker, the clarity needed and thinking, and right, what do we do? Do we actually chase this because we've got two minutes to go for it against their team or do we have to regain some composure and say listen we need to build to the phases and try and score after you know keeping the ball for a, for, a, for a bit length of time and the, that pressure of the clock I think I think the players did the right thing and Finn actually put a couple of attack and kicks through and it took the sting out of their attack uh, their defence sorry because they had ninety to hit so it was really quite clever whereas I, I could have seen the pressure on the players just saying listen we need to score before they get these guys at the bin again um, but no, there was a lot of composure there, so it's obviously easier to play against fewer players. But it's not as obvious as it sounds, as you know, a, a two or three man advantage.
0: It's an interesting test, as you're saying, because it's not a scenario that crops up realistically very often. You're down to, you, you know, you're down one, maybe two men, but at that point, it's not. It was quite interesting to watch how they handled that. Mm-hmm scenario in that situation and and I guess from from Gregor Townsend's perspective I wonder what his chat was at halftime and then again at full time and but but looking more importantly at full time after a result like that in an unexpected fashion I guess they can be very pleased going into the the Guinness Six Nations.
1: Yeah I think they can they can take a lot from all, all four games but particularly if we're talking about the last game just the the fight, the desire to to kind of stay in the game, and the intensity that they brought. Um, you look on the score sheet, and it was all backs that that scored at the weekend, but the foundation as it should be, joy, as it should be. It should be. <laughs> but the, I mentioned to the four, like it, the foundation <laughs> was laid, wasn't it? In the in the defensive Absolutely. effort, and um, and in the carries, and a lot like Finn Russell was instrumental to mm. the majority of those tries. Just the way that he can. A lot of players can put you in a half gap. Finn does a wee, he always does that wee bit more because he fixes defenders so well. And you've seen it so often that he's putting players, giving them real, real opportunities. I tried to, speaking to Darcy after the game and I said, you're flying just now. It's great to see you, Great to see. And he says, Oh, it's just awesome playing with Finn. He just puts you in so much space. Um, and I'm sure most of the, most of the players would agree. Um, just the way he manipulates defenders, he, you know, and that he was instrumental in a lot of the tries at the weekend. Um,
2: it so the balance i will be happy definitely yeah, going into the Six Nations. Absolutely. But no, there's a lot we can take from it. That was brilliant, and and Darcy's just incredible, uh, and Sione, I thought played really well, and I mean everybody yeah. played really well. Just the balance, but you're right about Finn the the fear of his being on the defence. Like genuinely, I thought that the week before against the All Blacks because we carried really well in the forwards there was a there was a, a return from how well or how much yardage you were making in a round off nine and then because he could his distribution so flat the line is such a threat like defenses just freeze in front of him because of the threat because of the options he has and how good he is at distributing the ball close to the line he adds a that attack attacking kicking game in. it's exactly what you want as an attacker is the defense to just stop going on their heels and worry about you most defenses now just fly and keep flying and keep flying, and because they're in control, but it's kind of rules reverse. Within. He's he's controlling the defense when when he's in attack, if that makes sense, because of the threat of his 100%. of his work. So he's, uh, well, it was it was a cracking performance, but it's uh, good to finish on a win. A big win is important. The four games, you know, it's it's it just underlines international rugby at the moment, and we see it in all the other fixtures as well. How difficult it is to win. How even more difficult it is to predict. Um, you know, it, it is still a game of chance. Uh, you know, the, 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 the kind of strange results you're seeing are, are becoming less and less strange because there's more of them. It's so how, difficult. How exciting,
0: how exciting well, is, is that, Thilmose? So, so yeah. Because if you look at the rugby championship,
2: look at what yeah. happened there. It was
0: all over the shop. Now, you know, we've got the Autumn Nations series is throwing up similar uh, across the board. Uh, and then, you know, we've got the Guinness Six Nations. So at this point in a rugby World Cup cycle, What a great time to be a rugby fan.
2: That's what I'm saying. There's very little between the top 10, 11 teams. And everybody can beat everybody. The best teams will be the ones that can do it most consistently, um, which is, we've always said, something that we need to get better at. But uh, yeah, predicting an international (laughs) is not easy at the moment. And it's because there's so little between them and getting the big moments in the game, bigger moments at big times right, is is the most important thing. So even games that end up, what was it, 52-29 at the weekend, there's still very little between the teams. You know, small at, margins. Or at, most at, of the games on small margins. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, you could look at the four games and say two wins from four. Um, you know, a positive glass half. Rupert, say, you know what? We're we're a kick away for beating Australia and seven minutes away for beating the All Blacks in the first time. In Hester, mm-hmm. it was four from four. Whereas the pessimist will say, well, we should have beaten Australia. We, you know, t- you know, stumbled through parts of Fiji. And um, we threw away a lead against New Zealand, and we played against a depleted Argentina but the fact is it's not one or the other it's the fact that the games are so tight they're so difficult that big moments in the game carry so much momentum but it was really important for Scotland to finish finish well attack well defend well um, and build ahead of the, as you say, said against Six Nations and I think it will be on Saturday I think it was 76 days between the Argentina game and the game and everything took in them so yeah, well, it's not too far away
0: well that is uh, that's a great point i mean so looking at scotland's gonna six nations campaign kicking off against england on the 4th of february and then home to Wales, uh, which is always a always a great day out. Um, away to France, and then finishing off the last two, uh, Scotland v Ireland on the twelfth of March, and then v Italy again at home on the eighteenth of March. Is there a game now? This is what we like to do before any series. Is there a game that's sticking out, Lee, for you, uh, for for this year's Six Nations that you've got your eye your eye on that you're particularly looking forward to?
1: I think uh, to look at the opener, like to play England in the opener, has always uh, comes uh, comes around quite often. Um, <laughs> My first cap was England at Murrayfield. And I, always, I said at the time, I was like, if I could pick a, a dream debut, like, that that would have been it. Um, so, like, looking at that fixture list there and just seeing England, England at Twickenham, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, on, on the opening weekend is obviously, and we always talk about how important the first game of the Six Nations is, just in terms of that, general momentum across the whole competition if you if you get a win in that first game the confidence that comes from that is, is huge um and uh, it, like the games are they're swinging on small margins as we've talked about as well so um and we've got good history against England I reckon in the last you know the last handful of fixtures if it's it's thrown up some some awesome matches so um, that that sticks out for me before
2: even looking any further ahead into the fixtures. Yeah, you're a wise man, Jonesy. You're foolish to look any further ahead than week one, especially <laughs> in the Six Nations. But... Spoken
0: <laughs> like a coach. <laughs> uh, uh,
2: the um, I suppose the other one that, if you're looking at it now, is the fact that you play Ireland. Yeah, an Islander in your pool pulling the Rugby World Cup as well. Like I don't I'm look, excited like, for that. looking too far ahead, but um, you know that's the yeah that's a and the number one team in the world as well. Obviously.
0: And it's so, at home, and and so at I home. mean, if you've got a yeah. if you've got a sellout BT Murrayfield, that would be what, mm. what a what a game! Not
2: yeah, uh, So if you win your first two or three, then that becomes even more more important, even yeah. bigger game.
0: Plenty of of rugby between now and then. However, so while we've got you on Lee, uh, I mean, who better to ask to nail his colours to the mask? For the 1872 Cup, uh, having had spells at Edinburgh and at Glasgow Warriors, who are you going to be supporting?
1: Oh, that's... Uh, that's <laughs> cruel.
2: <laughs> I don't know if I can answer that. Um, <laughs> how long... Um, how long You would you have spent longer at Glasgow in the end than you did at Edinburgh, Jonesy?
1: I, yeah, a fair bit in the end. Um, I think I 92, was... 92,
0: was it?
1: Three and a half seasons at Edinburgh and almost... Seven years is that right? Yeah, like, aye, a lot longer uh, Glasgow and mm-hmm. then. So oh, it'll be Glasgow. It depends yeah. how you want to measure it. Is it time at the club? Is it games? You know, I've, yeah Yeah. Um, no, I'm going to dodge that question and just <laughs> <cut it out. laughs> talk about, about the today, game. Um, then
0: tell <laughs> us about, about playing in it. it.
1: I think what's uh, it like to play in? About play Yeah, it was, a, it was different, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Very different. I remember the the very first 1872 couple played in. um and kind of got an idea of how different it was. And Mop where was, was the it? George? The was it home or away, or was it, uh, was it Hill or
2: was, was it the first one away for Hill? I think maybe Fairhill.
1: Maybe it was it. Maybe it was a Murrayfield. I can't remember. Which side of it was, but I just remember, I remember Moff, Rob Moffat, had, he said, for the, the analysis for this game, you're not just going to do a general thing, you're all going to go away and you're going to do your individual player. Your opposite number, yeah. I remember this. Aye, opposite number. And we, we want every, like, you You have to do all your homework on him. And that was just something that we bit different about that mm-hmm. fixture. And it's probably seen loads of different approaches since um, in both sides of the camp, but it just generates so much. So much intensity and so much build up and and passion around it, and like I was I was thinking about the two teams, you know, the guys that have just been playing as teammates throughout mm-hmm. this All Nations. Like the majority of the boys in there are going to be playing against each other in a few weeks' time. So it just and guys that are playing in in really good form. So it it really does tee it up. Um, it'll be it'll be some um, battle, and I, I just I look across the the two teams and I'll look at like the back three of both teams and like the battle that's gonna be the back so row. Exciting. It's um I it, it's teed up to be to be a good eighteen seventy two cup.
0: You'll be looking forward to it, Mossy. I mean uh, as as these games go, we look forward to every game at the season. But you know, it's not at the damn health this this time. It's inside the bowl at BT Murrayfield. It's also a nice opportunity. All the ex players get together. There's the fans are really up for it. This game. What what's the difference? I guess going back into the bowl um, and, and having having the big showpiece event in there.
2: Well, I was uh, I was actually talking uh, to Mike Blair about this uh, this other day, and he said. Obviously, they, they love playing in the damn health. It's their home. But the opportunity to play in the bowl and allow more people to, uh, to come along, support, and get behind the teams is brilliant. And he said he felt last year the impact and the support from the Edinburgh fans was was so much better than you can remember. Because um, you know Glasgow's going to bring a ruckus crowd along. They always do. travel travelling big numbers. And he said he actually felt that, although they'd only been in the damn health for five or six months at that time, the crowd had really learned to get their noise up and get their feet and get that passion and just basically carried it from, from what they do in the damn health and bigger numbers into BT Moneyfield. It actually added to the atmosphere massively Was it felt, you know, over the years, it seemed to be quite a lot of the Glasgow fans that would make the most noise even in Edinburgh. Um, but it felt last year it was just it almost turning its head a wee bit. So there's a chance to the Glasgow fans, I suppose, as, as well. So that atmosphere builds it's There's so much international talent on the field. It's, it's, I'd say it's quite unique. It's probably less unique because there'll be a lot of games like that across the world. But it, it does genuinely feel as everybody, I think everybody, almost everybody would be an international cap player playing head to head. So... Um, it brings, a, as Jonesy said, a one-on-one personal battle with your opposite number. It brings a representation in your country and the, the fans buy in as much as ever. So, yeah, be, we'll look forward to that. But a couple of URC games each before that and European rugby before that. So let's hope that the teams are fit and fire and, and, and it's, as, it's as good as we expect it to be.
0: Well, plenty to look forward to. And a reminder that that all-important 1872 Cup will be held at BT Murrayfield on the 30th of December with a 7.35pm kickoff. Uh, 150th anniversary of that fixture what an exciting game this promises to be um, plenty, as you, uh, plenty of rugby as you say Mossy between now and then to look forward to uh, and we will be chatting about it between now and then plenty of it too uh, Lee thank you so so much for your time huge congratulations on everything that you've achieved in your career we are delighted to have had you on and it was just great to see you in the bowl celebrating that incredible career that you've had uh, at the weekend so we wish you all the very best
2: pleasure thank you Ms. Jonesy and
0: don't forget of course you can also watch highlights of the Tenants Premiership on Scottish Rugby's YouTube channel and keep up to date with all of the latest news and content on the Scottish Rugby social media channels for now from Mossy for myself that's it and we'll be back very soon on the official Scottish Rugby podcast <laughs>